This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church podcast. For more information about us, who we are, and how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Today's message is delivered by Pastor Randy Roche. All right, you just open your eyes. I'm going to ask you to close them for a second. I'm going to give you one word, and I want you to imagine. Okay, what comes to your mind when I say home? All right, close those eyes. One word, home. All right, you can open those eyes again. I want to know, how many of you thought about uh, the building that you're living in right now? A couple of you. How many of you thought about the home you grew up in? Anybody? How many of you were like just simply napping for 20 seconds? (laughs) You're honest, that's good. A lot of times when we think of home, we think of a house. They're two completely different things, aren't they? George Carlin had a comedy routine and he, he would say that a house is simply a place where we keep our stuff. And when you have more stuff, you need a bigger house. That's why we build bigger houses. We've just accumulated more stuff. Eh, maybe that's true. Maybe that is what a house is. But we want to talk about a home because a home is something more than just where we store our stuff. A home is where relationships happen. And boy, isn't it heartbreaking to find that so many meaningful relationships are taking place outside the home? Office romances bud because there's something broken in the home? Kids run away from home because there's nothing to keep them there. How often we hear that we have street gangs because we have broken families. I had um, a conversation a few years ago. Carl Rayski and I went down in, into Milwaukee uh, to check up on a, a mission that we heard of. Uh, a mission that it was a home where men who were coming out of rehab for drugs or alcohol would go, or if they had just recently been incarcerated, they would come to this home run by some Christian men, and they would stay there for a few weeks or maybe even for a few months, and they would be nurtured in, in the Christian faith, and they would be given a place um, that they could call home. And one of the young men there who was helping, his name is D'Angelo. And uh, I asked D'Angelo what he did there. And he said, well, I volunteer and I lead some Bible studies and I have a chance to chat with some of the guys because I can kind of relate. I said, really? He said, yeah, you know, when I was five years old, I made a vow that I would never join a gang. He said, I lived here in, in the city of Milwaukee and I saw all of these gangs out on the street and they were violent people and as a little boy I made a vow that there's no way I was going to join a gang I was going to stick with my family he said but that didn't work out by the time I was an early teenager I was on the street I was a member of a gang why D'Angelo well my dad was too busy drinking and checking out pornography on the internet. My mom and my grandma who lived with us were both junkies and they were barely coherent. 
And I just couldn't stand the environment. So when I'd get up in the morning, I would leave the house immediately, hang out with my friends, and I only went home when it was time for me to crawl into bed. So I got involved in the gang. It became my family. And I ended up shooting and killing a man when I was 17 years old. They decided to treat me as a juvenile. So I spent two years in a juvenile facility. And when I came out, I just went back to my gang. And at 2.30 one morning, as I was walking down the street, I saw a car slowly driving up and the window rolled down. And he said, in my in my world, it's either kill or be killed. So I opened fire and didn't realize it was undercover police officers. Luckily, I did not kill any of them, but it did put me in jail. In jail, he said, I had a group of men who centered around me, Christian men, Spent 13 years in prison. And when I came out, I came to this house. To this family. Now, I rejoice with D'Angelo that he was surrounded by some really wonderful, God-fearing Christian men while he was incarcerated. But what a different life that would have been if he would have gotten that nurture when he was a 5-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old. So what is our home? It's not a house. It's not a building. Our home is what happens inside the walls and under the roof. How many of you have ever gone back and, and just like driven by the house where you grew up? Anybody, anybody ever done that? Yeah, some of you maybe drive by it a lot. Um, I did that not too long ago. I grew up down in Milwaukee and drove by, and um, I remember taking my kids past it, and, and, and I remember saying to them, boy, I remember our swing set was over there, and my, my bedroom was in the back in the corner. That's where the bedroom was. And boy, I remember coming out, and I'd ride my bike around here, and I'd go through who lived where. Two weeks ago, I was driving through Beechwood, Wisconsin. Anyone know where the, the vast metropolis of Beechwood, Wisconsin is? Okay, because if you sneeze going through Beechwood, you're two miles past it by the time you recover. I, I drove through Beechwood, and, and I looked. I said to my wife, oh, man, look at that couple sitting on the porch. I have to talk to them. It's a farmhouse on Main Street in Beechwood. And I pulled in, and I walked across their lawn, and I could see the couple got a little bit more hesitant the closer I came. And I walked up, and I said, boy, do I have wonderful memories of this house. My aunt and uncle lived here. They farmed here. Before it was a subdivision, this was the pasture. And I remember the chicken coop was here, and the barn was out in the back. I used to get eggs. I used to watch them milk the cows. My uncle would always say, watch where you're walking, city boy. That's not second base you're sliding in. Yeah. See, it's not about the building, is it? It's about what's going on inside the building. You know, the home is the seat of civilization. 
So when you go back into Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we get to those creation accounts and, and we find that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. He became a living being. He placed him in the perfect garden. And then God looked at Adam and said, you know, it's not good for the man to be alone. Even though he lived in perfection, it wasn't good for him to be alone. And God said, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And so from the rib, he creates the female. Adam calls her Eve. In Hebrew, it's Ish and Isha. Adam and Eve. And taken from a rib, isn't that interesting? Archie Bunker said, the reason God used a rib is it's a cheaper cut. It's to show that they walk side by side. They share life together. They relationship with each other. One day, Jesus was teaching, as he often did, and while he was teaching, the leaders of the church came and tried to throw a theological trap before him, as they often did. And one of the church leaders said, Jesus, hang on, what is the greatest commandment? And it was a test, it was a trick. You see, if Jesus would have picked one of the Ten Commandments, he would have been guilty of really devaluing the other nine. So Jesus answered immediately. He says, that's easy. The greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And without taking a breath, I believe, he went on to say, and the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Genius. Did you see what he did? He summarized the Ten Commandments in the two phrases. Love the Lord. That's commandments one, two, and three, isn't it? Don't have any other gods. Don't misuse God's name. Worship on a regular basis. Yeah. Commandments one, two, three. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's commandments four through ten. And where does he start? that second table of the law, with commandment four. Honor your father and mother that all may go well with you. He starts at the home because the home is the seat of civilization. Society is only as strong as the families that comprise it. Families are only as strong as the faith that upholds it. And we have a cultural problem because we have family problems. And we have problems with families because we've drifted from the faith. We've relied on on the things of the world to give us harmony and peace and structure and value. And, and it, it, it doesn't work because it doesn't last. Now, it doesn't mean that if, if our homes are founded on the Christian faith, it doesn't mean that we'll never have problems. It doesn't mean that our kids are always going to be honor students, that we will always have the promotion when it comes around, that we will always be healthy and happy. We'll have no arguments or disagreements. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is when we feel the effects of the imperfect world, when we are hit and hounded by illnesses or injuries or family fractures, that we have a place to go, that we have a faith in Jesus Christ who somehow, someway uses all things together for good, who reminds us that we can love him and we can love one another. We can look at his morals and values and standards and we can grow in faith 
for him and love for each other. So the home is the seat of civilization. It's also the incubator of faith. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, God gives the commandments to the children of Israel. And then he says to them, as families, he speaks to them as families. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, always, always have before you the Lord your God. Home is the place of faith. You know, when you think about it, God created the home before he created the church. Didn't he? The church exists to support the home. If you take a look at Luther's small catechism, you probably have a few of those at home, uh, open to the front page. And the head of the house shall teach these things. The head of the house. And the church is there to support the house. The day school is there to support the family. And the youth group is there to support the parents. And Vacation Bible School exists to support the family. We supplement the home. So that together as family we can encourage one another. With, with a faith that equips us to stand firm in the face of temptation. And even when we fall to temptation, it's a faith that drives us back to the cross of Jesus where he forgives us and renews us and restores us and sets us again on his path with hope. I'll tell you, the greatest thing that we as parents and grandparents can give our children and grandchildren is a trust in Jesus. Because when we do that in our home, it becomes a place of life, real life. We share a faith in our homes and we feed the faith in the home. And that's what fuels life. This week, take a look around. Listen to what the world has to say about what really fuels our life. We are, we are being told it's about the clothes we wear, the car we drive, or the home in which we live, or the neighborhood where we have established ourselves, what university diploma hangs on our wall, who we hang out with. And those are all very selfish things sometimes. If that's all we're looking at, it's not wrong to live in a good neighborhood or have a good education, but if that's, if that's the only thing that's holding us together, it's no wonder that our whole culture is burdened by hatred and arrogance and tribalism. See, in Christian homes, we define ourselves not by the neighborhood in which we live or the size of our house or the income that we bring home or the socioeconomic group with which we hang. We do not define ourselves by our gender or our ethnicity. We define ourselves by the one we follow, Jesus Christ. 
Imagine what our neighborhood would be like or what our community would be like or our country or even our world. Imagine what it would be like if we only measured ourselves and others as children of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ and called by the Holy Spirit into faith and life. Imagine. So God has given us some homes. And what's really important is who is in our home. Well, there's family. We talked about that. God designed us to have relationships. But there's also friends that come into our homes. I remember um, talking to my mom uh, not too long ago. uh, And I said, you know, it seemed like Everybody came to our house, all the kids from the neighborhood. They were in our backyard, on our swing set, jumping in and out of our little pool, riding their bikes up and down our driveway. I said to my mom, didn't didn't that bother you sometimes? And she said, no, I encourage that for a couple reasons. One, I could keep an eye on you kids. And two, we could influence others. But don't forget who else lives in your home. It's Jesus. And he comes into our home not as a guest, but as a member, part of our family. And because Jesus resides in our home, that makes it a place of living and loving, of caring and sharing, of help and hope. So, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is this. We need, as a family, to be in the Word. That's it. Be in the Word as a family. Pray together. Have a devotion together. That might be a little daunting. Oh, we've never done that. Wouldn't even know how to start. I'm not real good at writing sermons. That's okay. Neither am I. But you don't even have to. We've got devotional books in the back for you. Take it home. My wife and I, every morning we get dressed, we sit down, have a cup of coffee, talk about the things we're going to be doing during the day. We open up our devotional, we read, and then we pray. We pray for protection as we're driving. We pray that we would be hospitable people as we interact with others. We pray for our family, our friends. We pray for God's love to penetrate us. And then we pray that he would bring us safely home. Home. Close your eyes again. Home. I want you to think about the people in your home. I want you to picture them. I don't know, maybe you're in your family room or living room. Maybe you're out in the back porch. Maybe you're at the kitchen table. I want you to picture Jesus being there with you. home. Wouldn't it be great if every day during the day you could think this place that I'm picturing right now is what I want to get back to. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. We'll see you next week and God bless.